All right. Well, we, we are in Genesis chapter 15, and we're going to be talking about a promise, a promise of a son. Because Abram, uh, if you'll remember all the way back to Genesis 12, God promised Abraham a couple things. The Abrahamic covenant, one of those is that he would make him a great nation and that his descendants would inherit the land that he had promised him, the land of Canaan. And here ten years later in chapter 15, we find Abraham, Abram, still no son. But God, you promised. So we're going to talk about God's promise and how he works with that. And there's also some other blessings that God promises us, and we need to take advantage of those. I think as, as believers that anytime God gives us a promise, we need to be claiming it. And did you know that there's over 3,000 promises that God gives you in the Bible? And if we're not claiming every one of them, we're missing out, right? So we're going to be looking at Genesis chapter 15 and the promises that God gives us and how he fulfills them. So I want you to turn, if you're not already there, uh, Genesis chapter 15, and we're going to read the whole chapter. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision, saying, Do not fear, Abram. I am a shield to you. Your reward shall be very great. And Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me, since I am childless, and the heir to my house is Eben? Uh, Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Since you have given no offspring to me, one born in my house is my heir. Then behold, the word of the Lord came to him, saying, This man will not be your heir, but one who will come forth from your own body, he shall be your heir. And he took him outside, and he said, Now look towards the heavens. And count the stars, if you are able to count them. And he said to him, so shall your descendants be. Then he believed in the Lord, and it reckoned to him as righteousness. And he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldees to give you this land to possess it. And he said, O Lord God, how may I know that I will possess it? So he said to him, bring me a three-year-old heifer, and a three-year-old goat, and a three-year-old ram, and a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And then he brought all these to him, and cut them in two, and laid each half opposite the other. But he did not cut the birds. And the birds of prey came down on the carcasses, and Abram drove them away. Now when the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram. And behold, terror and darkness fell upon him. And God said to Abram, Know for certain that your descendants will be a stranger in a land that is not there. there will be, they will be enslaved and oppressed for 400 years. But I will also judge the nation whom they will serve. And afterwards they will come out with many possessions. And as for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. And you will be buried at a good old age. Then in the fourth generation they will return here. 
for the iniquity of the Amorite is not yet complete. It came about when the sun had set, and it was very dark, and behold, there appeared a smoking oven and a flaming torch which passed between these pieces. On that day God made a covenant with Abram, saying, To your descendants I will give this land. From the river of Egypt, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, the Kenite and the Kenizzite and the Cadmonite and the Hittite and the Parasite and the Rephim and the Amorite and the Canaanite and the Girgashite and the Jebusite. Wow, that's a hard... So, so we could just say a lot of hard names, right? There's a whole bunch of ites in there. Well, the, it's all about the promises. It's all about the promise. What, is, what has God promised you? He's promised us so much. And, and quite often what happens is we live, a lot of people live in a defeated state. They walk around and say, oh, thank God I'm a sinner saved by grace and I'm going to make it into heaven by the skin of my teeth. Instead of saying, you know what, I am a child of God. And he has given me promise after promise after promise. And every time I find a promise in the, in, the, in the Bible, I need to be claiming it. Because God does not want us to, to live in that, that defeated state. You know, some people sing the song, Onward Christian soldiers tread in doubt and fear with the cross of Jesus holding up the rear. <laughs> Instead of instead of singing it as we should, right? We are soldiers in the army of God. And we have, we, that cross is the thing that has brought us all of these promises. Well, let's look at some of these promises that God gave to Abram in this passage. The first thing he says is, he says, I am a shield to you. I'm a shield to you. Now, we don't really think a whole lot about that because, uh, you know, the only thing we have that's a shield is blue cross blue shield, right? We don't think about what is this shield that he's talking about. Well, David talked a lot about that shield. How, and, and if you thought about how much God shields us, in, in 2 Samuel 22, David writes this, The Lord is my rock. And my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold and my refuge, my Savior, you save me from violence. Wow, how many shields are there in there? There's a whole lot. And the first one I want to start out with is, is he is the horn of my salvation. And later it says, my Savior, you saved me from violence. Have you ever thought about the shield that God gives us through his Son on the cross? He shields us from the penalty of sin. Right? When we accept him as Savior, he said, I'm going to save you. And all you got to do is ask. He shields us, and what is the penalty of sin? For the wages of sin is death. 
but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Now, he's not talking about physical death. Life is a terminal condition. If Jesus doesn't come back, every one of us is going to die. We're going to die as something. Some of us may be more creative than others. But we're all going to die. And, and Jesus and God says, I am the horn of your salvation. If you accept me as Savior, you don't have to worry about the penalty of sin. Because I'm going to pay that price for you. And I mean, look at all of these other things. He's my rock. We, now, I know, John, you, you served in the, in the Air Force, right? Right back in World War II. Did they make you dig a foxhole when you were in basic training? No, because you were up flying. Anybody, anybody in here ever have to dig a foxhole? We don't have anybody? Oh, we got, oh, okay, we got Kyle. Yeah, how big is that foxhole? Big enough for you, right? Well, you can get two in there if you snuggle a little bit. <laughs> that, that foxhole is not very big. It's just enough to, to get you down below the, 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 the line of fire. But it, this says, I, the Lord is my rock and my fortress. Now, would you rather be in a foxhole with just enough to cover your head, or would you rather be in the fortress? with rocks all around you, with a big bulwark around you saying, stay back. It also says he's not only his rock, he's your refuge. He's a refuge. He's a place where we run to when you're tired and you can't go anymore and you just need. There were six cities of refuge that that the Israelites could go to if they had committed... Uh, a, a manslaughter. They could go to one of those cities of refuge and that was a place of protection. And they had to take in and he's our refuge. He's our stronghold. All of what a wonderful thought of what kind of shielding God gives us. Well in Psalms 3, 3 it says but you O Lord are a shield about me, my glory and the one who lifts my head. You know, it would be nice if, we had, if every day was one of those days when we were up on top of the mountain. But there are days when we are not, we're, we're walking around and maybe our chin is a little low. Or maybe it's dragging the ground, we're so low. And this says that Jesus is, is our shield and he's the one, he lifts our head. He literally picks our chin up and said, you're looking in the wrong direction. We're to look to him as our shield. He is our glory. He's the one, when when we get down, we need to be looking to Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. He's not going to let us not finish. He's the author and the finisher of our faith. In Psalms 18, 30, as for God... His way is blameless. The word of the Lord is tried. He is a shield to all who take refuge in him. Do you realize that God gives us this as a shield? What did Jesus use when he was tempted in the desert? He used the word. Why do we memorize verses out of this? 
because the word of God is the one that we can stand behind when the devil's throwing all of his darts at us. And we're going to look at that in just a minute. But that is our shield, and it is a tried word. Men have tried to destroy it for years, and God said, nope. This is my word. It will remain forever. In Psalms 91, 4, it says, He will cover you with his pinions, and under his wings you may seek refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and a bulwark. And I, and I like both of these images here. The first image is that he will cover you with his wings. And that is the image of, if you've watched a mother bird take their young ones and cover them, right? A storm's coming. And that mama, mama will, will cover that bird. And I, I've seen where there's been fires that have gone through a, a, a barn. And here we'll see a carcass of a chicken burned and dead. And out from underneath that carcass will come the baby chicks. That mother has given her life for those babies. And that is the same thing that he's talking here. When you're in the midst of the fire, when you're in the midst of the storm, when, when the hail is beating down, God says, come underneath me. I will cover you with my wings. Nobody can get to you. I will give my life. And he did. He gave his life to cover us as a refuge. And also the second half, his faithfulness is a shield and a bulwark. We don't use the term bulwark very much, do we? But what is a bulwark? Scott's a builder. You got you? Okay. You don't build castles? A bulwark is that piece on the castle that holds that wall up. So even if they take the battering ram against it, it's not going to fall over. We, he is not only our shield, he is our support that will not let the world collapse in on us. He holds it strong and safe. The, the parable that Jesus taught about the, the man who built the house on the sand and what happened? The water came and it washed it down and the house came tumbling down. But he said, if you build on the solid rock of Jesus Christ, the storms are going to come and the, and the water's going to come and it will not fail. That is our shield and our bulwark. Well, there's one more shield I want to talk about and that's found in Ephesians chapter 6. That's the, about the, the armor of God and remember we got all kinds of things in the armor of God. We got a helmet of salvation. We got a breastplate of righteousness and and we've got all kinds of things. Well, the very last thing it mentions in Ephesians 6 is, in addition to all, taking up the shield of faith with which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Now, we don't, we don't, we see, what, a shield on Captain America, right? He has a shield. We don't normally think about shields other than Blue Cross Blue Shield, but you know, we don't really think about what it's like. Well, the Romans had two kinds of shields. They had a little round one, about 18 inches round, and they would wear it on their arm, and that would be what they would use when they were in hand-to-hand -hand combat. 
because they would go out and they'd have their sword in one hand and their shield in the other, and, and, and they would block with this one and, and try to attack with the other. But the shield it's talking about here was the shield that the Roman soldiers would carry when they were going in to, to battle, and especially if they were going into a fortified city. They would be outside the city because they had the advantage. They could shoot from the walls. And these shields were about this tall and about this wide. And they were pretty heavy. And on the outside was leather. It was lined on the outside with leather. And what they would do is they would advance and they would come in side to side and they would plant them to make a wall. And then the next soldiers that would come up, they would flip theirs up and everybody could get underneath. And so when they shot those arrows, those arrows came in, and when they went into the leather, it extinguished it. And we as Christians, quite often, you know, we're, we're, we're busy. We're busy people, right? We don't have time to read our Bible. We don't have time to pray. And so we go out into the world to do battle, and we have a, about half of our armor on. We got, the, we got the helmet of salvation on and maybe the breastplate of righteousness, but we forgot our sword and we forgot our shoes, shoes that are preparated, that are, that are prepared with the, with the gospel. We got about half of our armor on and we forget our shield of faith. And, and what's the devil start doing? He starts launching those arrows. He starts launching those, and you're like going, I can't duck fast enough. We need the shield of of faith to go out into this world so that when those arrows come we can plant that down and, and not only does it protect us it protects all of those around us. That shield of faith is something that we do not just for ourselves but for those we love around us so that when we walk into the battle that shield is there to protect us. Well, not only did he say, I'm going to give you a, a shield, I am a shield to you, but he said, secondly, your reward will be very great. Your reward will be not just great, it'll be very great. Now, remember last week, what, what did the king of Sodom offer Abraham? You take all the stuff that you captured, you can have all the material things, that you want, just give me the people. And Abram said, I don't need, I don't need your stuff. But here came Melchizedek, right? The king of Salem, Melchizedek, the king priest, who we know is, the, is Jesus, and, and he blessed him. He blessed him. And I want you to know, that when this is the follow-up to that, your reward will be very great. And the question I have to ask for each one of us is how are we living our life in, in the fact that we know Jesus Christ, right? We, we, we've accepted him as our Savior. We know we're going to heaven. Are we living our life with great reward? Because this is a promise. 
In John 10.10 it says the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they might have life and have it abundantly. But a lot of us live like we're just eking by in faith. You know, who's the thief? Satan is. The devil's the thief. Man, all he wants to do, if he can, if he can kill and destroy, he, he's going to do that. But Jesus said, I want you to live, not only live life, but I want you to live it abundantly. I mean, if we can get a hold of what God is saying here, we should be living our life like, okay, God, what do you have next? How are you going to bless me more than we already have? Because I want to do your will. I want to, I want to, I want to live a life abundant. How do I do that? I live that by claiming his promises. I live that by obeying his commands. In Ephesians 3.20 it says, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think according to the power that works within us. Who's the power that works within us? It's the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is working in our lives every day so that we can live this abundant life. And when we pray, how should we pray? Should we pray, oh, God, you know, just, just take, you know, all someone is just a little bit over here and that'll be okay. God says, I want you to pray beyond all that you can ask or think. We need to expand what we think God's, what we think God wants for us. We need to expand our vision, and I'm not talking about material things. I'm talking about how, how God wants to bless us emotionally how God wants to bless us spiritually. And yes, God will bless us with material things, but when we begin to feel the joy that God's going to bring to us through living life, we need to say, okay, God, I want, you to, I want you to help me to memorize Scripture. Not just one Scripture, but I want you to help me to memorize the Word of God so that I can live a life abundant, so that I don't have to worry about things. So when I see something, I can say, Lord, lead me through this. In 2 Samuel 22, David writes, this is the latter part of that verse I read earlier, he also brought me forth onto the broad place. He rescued me because he delighted in me. The Lord has rewarded me according to my righteousness and according to the cleanness of my hands, he has recompensed me. He brought me forth into the broad place. When we think of Psalms 23, where does God lead us? Into the green pastures, beside the still waters. God doesn't lead us out into the sagebrush and the, and the briars. That's not where God leads us. He leads us into the broad place. He wants us to, to realize how much he loves us. Matter of fact, if we could get a hold of this second thing, it says, he rescued me. When did Jesus rescue you? The day he saved you. And why did he save you? 
because you were a sin-sick, sore piece of, uh, of sinner, right? You were no good. But what does the second half of this verse say? Because he delighted in me. He delighted in me. If you, if, if you can catch nothing else but this phrase to realize that before you were saved, God delighted in you. No matter where you were, no matter what you were doing, God delighted in you. And he still does. Can you picture that? It's Mother's Day. Can you picture your mama with a big smile side to side going like this? Being delighted in you as a son or a daughter? He delighted in you. If we can grasp that, we will live the abundant life that he's offered us. Proverbs 22 forces, the reward of humility and the fear of the Lord are riches and honor and life. Isn't that where you want to live? Don't you want to live in the midst of honor and riches and life? Luke 6, 35 says, but love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return. And your reward will be great, and you will be the sons of the Most High. You know, you can never outgive God. We've been doing our, our uh, spiritual maturity class, and last, last week, last Thursday, we were on giving. And we were talking about this concept that you cannot outgive God. And it says here, all of these things, love your enemies, do good, lend, expect nothing in return. When we give, God says, oh, okay, this is awesome. You, as long as you keep giving, God's going to keep blessing you so you can keep giving because God wants you to give. God wants you to, to touch others. God wants you to be available. And I'm not just talking about money here. I am talking about your gifts, your talents, your time. How you touch people when we can give, it says what? Your reward will be a little bit. No? It says your reward will be great. Well, let's move on because I want you to see what his reaction to these first two blessings. The reaction that Abraham said in verse, in verse uh, three. And Abraham said, since you have given no offspring to me, one born of my house is my heir. God says, what do you want for your reward? It's going to be great. And Abraham said, I really don't want anything except an heir. Abraham was very specific with God in what he wanted. We need to be able to go to God and say, God, this is what, this is the promise that you give me. I want you, uh, this is, and, and how is this going to play out? Because Abram's like going, Eliezer is my heir at this point. I don't see any chance 
that I'm going to have an heir. And God says, hold on, time out. God says, time out in verse 3. He says, and behold, the word of the Lord came to, to him saying, this man will not be your heir, but one who has come forth from your own body shall be your heir. He said, I'm going to give you the promise and, and I'm going to clarify this right now. So there's no doubt in your mind, Abram, you're going to have a child of your own body. And, and Abram's kind of like, well, I'm, I'm getting up there and Sarah's getting up there, but God's going to say, I'm going to wait until there can be no doubt that this is of God. No doubt. Kind of like he did with a little girl called Mary when he came and he said, you're going to have a child by, a, by the Holy Spirit. He said, there's going to be no doubt. And God says, there's going to be no doubt that this son is going to come from your body. Now we're going to learn next week, sometimes we can try to help God out and it doesn't work out very well. But, but he said, he was very specific. Abram said, I want to have an heir. And God says, you, you will, and it will come from your body. It's not going to be Eliezer. And then what does he do? God took him out into the outside in the dark, and he says, I want you to look up into the sky, and I want you to start counting. Have you ever done that? Have you ever gone out? I, one of the things I, reason I love whitewater rafting is you get out in the middle of nowhere, there's no light. And I love going on a beautiful summer day on the, on the Deschutes River and we'll take a raft and we'll flip it upside down and we'll just lay on our back and we'll look up at the Milky Way. And you can start over on this side and you start going, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven. Oh, wait, there's two more popped up over here. Seven, eight. Yeah. And you look at all of this. And what was God saying? God wasn't just saying that, yeah, you're going to have a whole lot of descendants. But God was saying, if I can create all of this and I can hold it all in place, do you think I can keep my promise with you? If I can take this world and spin it on its axis so that you know exactly what time the sun is going to come up and what time the sun is going to go down. Do you think I can take care of your problem? Do you think I can give you a son? That's what God was saying. And I love verse 6. And then he believed in the Lord, and it was reckoned unto him as righteousness. When we can grasp that the Creator God is delighted in us, and he loves us, and he wants to have, give us life abundantly, we can live in a place where there, there is no doubt that God can answer that prayer. In Isaiah chapter 30, verse 21, your ears will hear a word behind you. This is the way, walk in it, and whenever you turn to the right or to the left. You see, God is directing our paths. God is the one who is, who is telling us, this is the promise. You just have to listen to me. Because along the way, we, if we quit listening to God, we kind of go, well, I'm not sure I'm going the wrong direction. 
I'm going to take a left. Whoops. Or I'm going to take a right. No, listen to me. Listen to what I have to tell you. This is the way. Walk you in it. Don't veer off the course. I have a plan for you. You may not like the, you may not understand, A, understand the plan, and you may not appreciate the plan that God's taking you through, but he has a plan. And we need to stay the course with him. The, probably the, you know, when we make a request of God, God grants it over and above anything we can imagine. I want you to think of Solomon. God came to Solomon and he said, you're now king, your father David's gone. You're now king. You can ask anything you want from me. And in 1 Kings 3, 9, it says, Solomon responded, So give your servant an understanding heart to judge your people, to discern between good and evil, for who shall be able to judge this great people of yours? Solomon asked specifically that God would give him the wisdom to rule the people, and God says, Absolutely. Matter of fact, Solomon's known as what? The wisest man in all the world. And people would travel from all over the known world at that day to come to him and ask questions. But not only that, what did God say to, to Solomon? He said, because you didn't ask, you could have asked for riches, you could have asked for all of this other stuff. Because you didn't, I'm going to give it to you anyway. God wants to reward you very great, right? He wants to, wants to reward us for what we should do, what he's asking of us. Well, God is going to seal the covenant. He, he, says, he says, Abram says, how, do, how am I going to know? And so God is going to seal the covenant with him. Now, this is, uh, this is kind of one of those, when you look at this, this is like kind of a weird way to seal, the, to seal the covenant. Now, if we were going to do it today, we would, we, would go to, we would probably call up a notary and say, okay, here's our contract. You know, Gene and I have a contract that we're going to do something together and we're going to go down to the notary and the notary's going to sign it because uh, it says Ben's going to do this, his part and Gene's going to do his part. And we've got this contract together, right, Gene? And we're going to do great things, but, but the notary signs it. Well, in these days, they did things a little bit differently. He says, you go and get, get he says, you get a couple animals, and, you, and then you get a couple of birds. And, they, and what they would do is they would cut them in half, and they would lay the parts on either side. And then they would hold hands, and they would walk between those together. And that sealed the covenant. And God says, I'm going to seal this covenant with you, but I want you to watch how God does it. First, before we get there, he's going to, God is going to reveal to Abraham part of his plan. And this is one of those that, that sometimes we want to be careful about what we ask God, because if we ask God, I, all I want to do is I want, just, I want to see where we're going. Because I want you to see what God told him about his plan. <laughs> We're okay. Just a second, let me, let me jump start here. We're good. He told him in verse 13, 
Know for certain that your descendants will be a stranger in a land that is not theirs, where they will be enslaved and oppressed for 400 years. But I will also judge the nation whom they will serve, and afterwards they will come out with many possessions. That's a pretty scary plan. If I'm Abram and God tells me, I'm going to make you a great nation, but they're going to be slaves for 400 years. Man, I'm not really sure I wanted to know that. But God said, listen, Abram, just so that you know that it's going to be okay, he gives him a personal affirmation in verse 15. As for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace and you will be buried at a good old age. Isn't that a blessing that he gave to Abram? You're going to die in peace and you're going to die at an old age. He said, don't worry about where my plan ends because I have a plan for you specifically and that plan is awesome. You're going to live a life that's going to be full and then you're going to die in peace. What a great way to go. Only God knows when the plan's going to be complete. Only God knows when, you're, when, you're ti- when your time is up. Uh, we all wish we could. Hey, I'm going to live to be ni- I'm going to live to be 98. I'm going to live to be 110. We'd all like, you know, I wish I would have known how, how long I was going to live because I would have taken a whole lot better care of myself so, so I didn't have to have an artificial knee put in. Now, we, we all want to know, but God says, it's okay. Just know I have a plan for you that's, that's perfect. In 1 Peter 3, 9, it says, The Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. You see, we, we pray for people. We, like, we, we have a list here, a list of the unsaved that we pray for. And as elders, we pray for them every month. We go through that and we pray them specifically. And sometimes you're like going, well, well this person's been on there for a long time. Some of you may have been praying for somebody for for 20, 30, 40 years, and you're like going, God, why aren't these people getting saved? And God says, I love them, but you need to be patient because I have a plan. You just keep praying. That's, your part is to be faithful in prayer. You leave it up to me because I wish not that any to perish, but that all come to repentance. Your job is to keep praying. Your job is to faithfully witness to them. Your job is to live out Christ in front of them so one day they go, I get it. And God moves in their heart. Well, one of the things I want you to understand about this sealing this covenant is that Abram did not take part in sealing the covenant. Did you notice that? It says that he, he, went, he was making sure the birds didn't get on the, 
on the, on the carcasses. He's, he, he's like, God, where are you? And, and that's the way we are sometimes. God, I don't understand. You said we're going to do this covenant thing, and I'm out here trying to keep the birds off. And then it says that, that a deep sleep fell on Abram. Abram fell asleep. And it says that, that that's when God comes and he speaks to him. And I want you to look at what happens. Verse 17. And it came about when the sun had set, that it was very dark. And behold, there appeared a smoking oven and a flaming torch which passed between these pieces. And on that day, God made a covenant with Abraham. You see, Abraham was fast asleep when God went through by himself. You see, God was telling Abraham, I don't expect you to do anything to fulfill this promise. I don't, I'm not, I don't even expect you to create the seed that's going to be your son. Because I'm going to wait until you're an old man to do this. I'm going to wait till Sarah's past childbearing age before I'm going to give you a son. He says, I want you to know that I'm the only one that's involved in this covenant. Now I want you to think about another covenant. The covenant that took place on the cross. You see, Jesus said, this is the blood of, of the new covenant which is shed for you. The covenant of grace. The covenant that said, there's one way to heaven. I am going to provide salvation. And the only thing you bring to the table is saying yes to the gift. And we've, we've memorized a couple verses already this year uh, that were in regards to this. In Isaiah 53, 6, it says, all of us, like sheep, have gone astray. Each one has turned to his own way. We bring nothing to the table of salvation. But the Lord has caused the iniquity of us to fall on him, to fall on Jesus. In Romans 5.8, that's our verse for this month, Right? Romans 5, 8, but God demonstrates his love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, the time when we could do nothing to save ourselves, Christ died for us. He was the, he was the one who fulfilled the covenant all by himself. He walked through the covenant on his own because it was his blood that was shed on the cross. It wasn't ours. Even if we died on the cross, it wouldn't be enough to sacrifice of a sacrifice for God to save us. It was only through the blood of Jesus. You know, in Matthew chapter 26, when uh, he was having the Last Supper with the disciples, he said, well, while they were eating, Jesus took some bread and after blessing it, he broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat. This is my body. And, then, and when he had taken a cup and given thanks, 
he gave it to them saying, drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the new covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sin. You see, Jesus knew when he was going to the cross that he was going to fulfill a new covenant of salvation and that he was going to do it on his own. And he did. When he cried, it is finished, that meant the covenant was sealed. There was nothing more that you could do, that he took care of it himself.